If you have no reviews, no sales history, and you start bidding on your exact match, highest volume keyword, you're not gonna display and you're not gonna get any conversions. So then it's like, well, where do you start? Go to where you can compete. Get very specific in terms of like, what are you selling? Go very long tail, go where the competition is in this fierce, and then start climbing the ladder because Amazon does have a relevancy factor. If you don't have any sales history, Amazon's gonna say, hey, you're not relevant for that. They wanna make the ad dollar, but they also wanna make their 15% of the sale. So if they know you're not gonna make the sale, then they'd rather take someone else's ad dollar and then also make the sale. This podcast is sponsored by Klaviyo, the email and text marketing platform that puts D2C brands in control. If you're the leader of a D2C brand, you need a platform that hustles as hard as you do. Klaviyo unlocks the power of your e-commerce data so you can personalize and automate messages that keep customers coming back. D2C brands communicate with Klaviyo. Get started for free at klaviyo.com DTC. Hello and welcome to All Killer No Filler. I'm Eric Dick. It is Thursday and today we're here with Pilot House's Amazon team to finish part two of a series we started a couple weeks ago where we talked about uh, the most common rookie mistakes we people we see people making when they're just starting out with Amazon. So we wanted to revisit the vast uh, scale of Amazon again and talk more about some of the biggest scaling mistakes that we've seen some brands made. Now, I've made a ton of mistakes in my marketing career, uh, but what do you see brands making uh, the biggest mistake in when it comes to scaling their Amazon stuff? Rob, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with um, driving traffic too early, not putting the effort into your, your listing and really making sure it's optimized in terms of like good images, good SEO, A plus content, your bullets, your title all dialed in. Because, I mean, the exciting thing of being performance marketers is spending and driving sales. So you always want to get to that. And you're like, you kind of, you might gloss over the optimization standpoint, but if you start driving traffic too early, you're not going to have the conversions and you're going to think you're, you failed on the ad side of things, but really you failed before you even started. Dialing in is such a powerful word, I feel like, because it's, it, it, what, what do you mean by dial in? How long does it take to dial in those things that you just mentioned? If you do it right the first time, it doesn't have to take a long time, uh, but it's just spending, I don't know, Clifford can probably comment on time a little bit more, but taking the time to do your keyword research so you've got the right keywords in the right spot, just spending the extra bit of like, don't just like write bullets once, like write them and get people to review them. Ask the, ask the questions like, what are the unique selling points? What are the pain points you're trying to solve? And make sure you hit on those. So when you do start driving traffic, you get, you get conversions. Clifford, what are your best uh, pieces of advice for dialing in your your foundations? Yeah, I would say the keyword research and dialing in all your SEO of your listing probably takes day and a half to two full days of work um, to get it all done decently well. You're obviously going to learn a lot more as time goes on and add to that, but at least to put yourself in a pretty strong spot to begin with. Um, and then of course all your images and a plus content and all that on your listing as well. Um, I mean, depends how fast you are, how good of a team you have a graphic design, but, um, a couple, couple days work there as well, likely to get everything dialed in. And that's even excluding a video if you don't already have a video for your, your stuff as well. So a week, if you're very fast, are you using negative keywords on, uh, on keyword bidding on, on Amazon? hundred percent all the time. Is that something you start with out of the gate or is that something that you, is that something you learn over time as you see performance? Um, a little bit of both. So you can, s we'll always negative out the obvious branded terms out of every campaign that is not branded specifically, um, because 
you know, it's pretty obvious what your brand name is. Over time, you start to learn how people search for your brand name and the thousand different ways they find to spell it. Um, you have to negative out all those, but then you'll start to find different variations and different things to negative out as well over time as you start to see, okay, we got eight clicks here and spent $20 on this word that's totally irrelevant. So let's get rid of that one out of this campaign or get rid of that one. So a lot of that does come over time. Uh, just by generally searching initially for your product, you can usually see what comes up. And if there is some things that you're not relevant for that you might want to negative out immediately, but yeah, usually it comes over time. So let's follow that through then, Rob. If you're if you've got this uh, you know rattly boat with all your with all the screws are not dialed in properly, and then you start putting money through it, and you may, you have this maybe you've got funding, you're like let's scale. What do you think is you know what's a mistake that can happen when when you do this? You can start going after keywords that are too competitive too quickly. Um, that's another mistake if if you get too excited about starting to spend. Um, is I mean <laughs> let's use the like the classic Amazon example of a garlic press, don't bid on garlic press right away. <laughs> like if you have no reviews, no sales history, and you start bidding on your exact match, highest volume keyword, you're not gonna display uh, and you're not gonna get any conversions. Cause you're going to be next to a garlic press with 10,000 reviews, that's probably a better price. So then it's like, well, where do you start? You go to where you can compete. So what type of garlic press are you selling? Are you selling like, a stainless steel garlic press for women who are into yoga, bid on that keyword. <laughs> it's going to have way less volume. It's a ridiculous example, but just get very specific in terms of like, what are you selling? Um, go very long tail, go where the competition is in this fierce and then start climbing the ladder uh, because Amazon does have a relevancy factor. Uh, so if you don't have any sales history, Amazon's going to say, hey, you're not relevant for that. And they want to make they want to make the ad dollar, but they also want to make their 15% of the sale. So if they know you're not going to make the sale, then they'd rather take someone else's ad dollar and then also make the sale because then they, they double dip on everything. Is um, garlic press a meme? I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that the, the garlic press was the most common example. It's just like every uh, influencer person selling a course talking about Amazon, you somehow use the garlic press as an example. That's interesting. I've, I've heard espresso machine a few times and I bought an espresso machine that I know like four friends that, that bought probably from the same review site that was mocked up to get us to buy this $300 espresso machine. But it was one of the best purchases of my life, I will say. So thank you, marketing. Okay. So this, this was my question as you were talking about, okay, when you're, you know, trying to go after uh, these niche keywords, are you then doing other things with your listing that sort of echo these niche aspects through? Like are, if you say stainless steel garlic press, are you going to have, you know, make sure you're calling out stainless steel on your images as well? Like as you go long tail, are you echoing all those aspects throughout your whole listing? Definitely. Like you want to make sure that you're indexed for those keywords. So from an SEO standpoint, uh, but then also if you're Looking at your like longer tail keywords, uh, if those are major selling points, then of course, yeah, like call it out in your images, call it out in your title, your A plus, like sort of the why people are buying it. Some of your long tails might not be a key selling feature, like it might just be an attribute. So maybe you don't have to put as much focus on that. But we've done this with like gifting, for example, like coming up to gifting season. If we know we're going to start bidding on gifting keywords, throwing those gifting related keywords in your title or your bullets, so you start indexing for them. So when you make the sale, you build that additional bit of relevancy for that keyword. This giving thing is, is uh, the, the gift giving mentality is something that we, you know, I, I don't think it hurts to overemphasize because it's such a, a big factor in the psychology of buying. 
So when you say bidding on keywords for gifting, that's literally just saying gifts for dad, gifts for a 60 year old man, gifts for a, you know, and you could go endlessly down the rabbit hole with th those kinds of keywords. What What is your day like when you're trying to do that, Clifford? That's a good question. Um, one is yes, it takes a long time to accumulate the keyword research necessary. Luckily, um, you can niche it out in the same way. So you can know that um, garlic press is tough, but you know, gift for chefs, gift for people who love to cook, uh, things like that you can get a little bit more specific with. Gift for women who do yoga, if you sell that yoga garlic press that Rob has. Um, <laughs> so like there's, uh, you can get like even even niche specific in the gift section if you're not a super broad gift product. Um, I always look at Rob when I'm about to like give away some like secret strategy that we're using that I do. I'm like, eh, maybe I shouldn't say it. Um, but you can always edit it out if it's too secret. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Amazon this year or late last year, maybe uh, rolled out something called virtual bundles. Um, and this allows you to bundle together products that are in fulfillment centers or in FBA that you didn't actually send there packaged as a bundle. What this lets you do is basically create individual listings for products together. And you could maybe possibly Photoshop like them in a present box or with the ribbon on top. And then you could maybe if you wanted to make a store page specifically with these bundles on it and how great they are for gifting. And then you could run ads to those gift keywords for your products that aren't typically great for gifting that now are bundles that are all Christmassy looking that now look like they're great gifting products when their regular listing might not be at all. I love when my guests are willing to walk the line of getting fired to give <laughs> such incredibly valuable tips. I think that's really, you know, hypothetically, if someone were to do that, I think it would be a pretty good idea. That was Seth's idea on our team, so I'll throw it out to him. It just pays to have a, you know, a team of crafty marketers with you. Your cupboards are overflowing with coffee. You ran out of toilet paper. Your spouse is on you about two credit card charges this month. The truth is subscriptions are great until they're not. Reordering can be easy. Just visit getrepeat.io to find out how. Uh, speaking of crafty marketing, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about are, are product giveaways and, and different sort of contests and things to drive hype, drive signups. Uh, what, what are some errors that you've seen? What's the error that you've seen people, uh, you know, using contest making? So specific to giveaways on Amazon, um, if you... It goes back to going after a keyword that's too competitive too quickly. Um, so, I mean, if we just go back to the garlic press example, if, if the number page one garlic press has like thousands of reviews, super high volume keyword, if you start on a, out on Amazon, say you've got like a whole bunch of funding and you've got like a whole bunch of inventory and like money's no concern. It's like you just want to give away a whole bunch of products um, to rank on page one for garlic press. That's not a good idea if you can't hold that rank. So even if you get to like page one for like a competitive keyword, but you still don't have the reviews and you still don't have the sales history that to maintain that spot, then before long, you're just going to fall out of that spot or maybe you don't have the ad budget to stay there. So yeah, you do a big giveaway, you make it to page one, but then a week later, you're back to the bowels of page 10 where you were before. 
because you couldn't hold that consistency to stay at that rank. So you want to be careful with your giveaways and time it with your ad strategy, where you're at in terms of a sales history and review standpoint, uh, and try and slot it into maybe like a mid-volume keyword uh, if if you are going to do the, the giveaway route. Can you just back? I am actually not familiar with Amazon giveaways, so I'm piecing it together. But just for, for, for myself and for listeners, just explain that functionality within Amazon. Uh, so within Amazon, uh, it's a gray area. Um, so we don't actually touch a lot of it uh, on the agency side of things um, because the way to go about it is you... You, it used to be giving like really steep discount codes, but um, now the way is like reimbursing outside of Amazon. So basically you get like a review group to buy a product full price. It looks like a full price sale to Amazon. Then you reimburse that person outside of Amazon, um, which is against Amazon's TOS. So don't get your account banned. We don't do it, um, but it is a strategy that's been been used by sellers for a long time. Shortcuts often will result in, you know, not exactly what you're looking for. So, so that definitely makes sense. Um, so I'm just curious about timelines with, with this. So we, we talked about rookie mistakes. Now we're talking about scaling mistakes. We're, we're talking about the order that things kind of have to be done and the, the sort of tact that you need to have as you're, as you're scaling your Amazon listing. What is, what's this timeline from, from zero to hero, essentially, from rookie to, uh, to, making, to when you can make big scaling mistakes? You know, like what, is, what does that account lifecycle look like in terms of time? I think it depends on the competition of the niche that you're in and how established they are. So if you're trying to go after garlic press, that's a two year long, probably slog to the first page of that listing. Um, but if you're going after something a little bit more niche, maybe it's wooden garlic presses, which would be a horrible idea, but maybe there's some people out there that are really into it. I bet the top wooden garlic press has quite a few uh, less reviews than those other ones and their listing probably isn't as dialed in so it's it's kind of where your competition is at for your highest value keyword that you can realistically rank for is how long that will take if you're a very unique product and the competition's not very established you can scale up in the first couple of months and be up there and be generating whatever that top level of sales are if it's a very broad category and there's tons and tons of competitors, somewhere around a year, six months to a year is like the fastest that could really realistically happen because you're talking about fully optimizing your listing, which takes at minimum, like we said, a week of dedicated work to it. Talking about gathering up at least a hundred reviews, let's say as a base starter point, which is probably at least, you know, a thousand to two thousand plus sales, probably more than that. Uh, so somewhere around that number of sales, which is going to take a few months, likely. And then you're also um, talking about just like re-establishing branding, um, establishing re like repeat purchasers to continue to come back and starting to build a base of that relevance to Amazon for a bunch of keywords over time. So you need all of that kind of in place to be able to really start to scale up nicely. Uh, and so when you're scaling, I know one of the biggest, and I think this is a big issue for everyone heading into Q4 with Chinese New Year and you know global instability, things like this. So so I you know we're on the agency side of things, so we're not directly you know in in charge of inventory or supply. But what are we seeing with our? What are we advising our clients? What are we seeing among our clients? And what are we telling people outwardly when it comes to inventory and supply chain? Plan ahead, like <laughs> uh, so 
I mean, it's it's difficult. Like the mistake people make with inventory and supply chain and scaling is like not under like maybe leaning into scale and getting excited about it and not having the inventory to back it up for over time. Specifically, heading into Q4, like we're maxing out a lot of our uh, storage limits um, at, at Amazon. So if we have inventory in the 3PL, getting it into Amazon before the major delays of Q4 start from a receiving standpoint. Uh, and then also always advise clients who have the ability to do fulfilled by merchant orders to have an FBM listing ready to go. So if they do stock out, they can run the FBM while they're waiting for more inventory to be received at Amazon. But then like apart from those two things, that's all saying you've got inventory. Uh, the thing to do before that is to make sure that you have inventory and you're planning ahead for it, especially with the delays we're seeing in terms of port congestion right now. So just getting as, as far ahead as you can realistically, it's hard from a cash flow standpoint, but um, it sucks running in, out of inventory in Q4. So. With this idea of port, like, are we actually seeing any ramifications right now in shipping times or, or anything like that with some of the global congestion that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like just in terms of clients getting inventory to the States, even get clients who are manufacturing within the States waiting for their like fillers or producers are waiting for increase, certain ingredients to show up that are delayed. Um, so it's a whole trickle down effect. That's interesting. I was just looking up the uh, the cost of a shipping container because I've just heard it has just astronomically skyrocketed in in the last you know couple of years, which is which is interesting. Ten times in two years. Ten times Crazy. in two years. It, it was two thousand dollars in twenty nineteen, late twenty nineteen, and now it's about twenty thousand dollars. So ten x in the last two years. Well, here we go. Exciting times. Well, <laughs> headed into Q four. I think, you know, we're not expecting any cataclysms uh, anytime soon. Uh, Q4 does, uh, you know, we anticipate it being the, you know, one of the biggest Q4s. Every Q4 is the biggest Q4. Uh, and so we're excited for the same thing from this one. Uh, and I know we're going to be working on some more content with you guys for some upcoming All Killer No Fillers about uh, some of the preparations you're making for Q4, essentially. So I look forward to that. Thanks for coming on today, guys. Awesome. Thanks for having us. You. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. And here's to 100,000 listens on the D2C podcast. Thanks for your contributions. Oh, anytime. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C podcast. We'll see you next time.